0: Did you know that the early church did not have the Bible in the church? Think about it. They didn't even have the Old Testament in the church. They were lucky if they went to the synagogue, if there was a scroll there that they could pull out and read. So we take it so much for granted that we have the word of God. But it's only been in the last, what, five or six hundred years that we've had the scriptures available to us. So, you know, we are in an age when the word of God is being proliferated throughout the world. And so we thank God for the technology that we can. And you don't need to be a Bible-trained scholar in order to be able to have the scriptures in your own language and be able then to go up on the internet and find what is the Hebrew meaning behind the English word that I'm reading in my English Bible. We should be the best Christians ever produced because we have all the tools. And think of your computer as a library, rather than something for, I I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it because I'm old and that's my excuse, instead of a Facebook page. (laughs) I heard that, amen, Mel? (laughs) We, We are tied in with one another so tightly these days that we really don't know anything beyond the surface of things. We're off my point. (laughs) Peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's our title today. This comes right out of the very essence of who Jesus Christ is to us. How many of you know that he is the Prince of Peace? Where, when was that first declared? Where was the first peace offering made? In Genesis. Ah, oh, where in Genesis? Genesis? Yeah. In 3. Genesis 3. All the way from the beginning was peace being made, offered. And Jesus became that peace offering. He was looking ahead. He is the peace offering to us. Last week, I talked to you about three concurrent celebrations or feasts that Israel is involved in right now. At least they're ongoing now with with one of them in particular. And it's the First Fruits Feast of First Fruits. You know that uh, that word even feast is probably a misnomer. What do you think a f- feast is? What, what is a feast just off the top of your head? A, big meal. a meal, isn't it? It's a potluck. <laughs> Boy, the last potluck we had here was uh, incredible. And we just get all kinds of people coming when there's potlucks. We should do that every Sunday. And we could call it a festival. But, you know, festival does not mean a meal. What what does it mean? It means a gathering together, coming together, an event. It's not about food. It's about us being together as the body of Christ. This is a feast this morning, to be together. We're coming together. And that's what these feasts are about. Three concurrent festivals. There's just a review of last week. First of all, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The timing of it was exquisite in terms of what was happening to Jesus Christ. The night of the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what did Jesus do? He told his disciples, a couple of them, to go to a room that is being prepared. And I'll gather with you there. Beginning the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he gathered his disciples around him in what we call the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, or we call it Communion. And we celebrate that once a month in our church. That's what what it was. It was the feast of unleavened bread. Leaven. What is leaven? All you cooks know this. What is leaven? Yeast. Yeast. What, What happens to it? It's something that grows. Chemical reaction? Is that what it is? But leaven was really a picture of sin puffing up. Something that was not basically natural it was actually a fermentation and so it's a picture of the sin that gets in our lives and puffs us up and we think we're okay we think we're so smart then there was the passover jesus trial crucifixion and burial happened on the day of passover the other feast or festival or gathering was the Feast of First Fruits that we've already mentioned, and that was right in the midst of when Jesus was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. Jesus did not rise from the dead. There is a difference. Jesus was raised. Why? Because he was counted worthy to be our sacrifice and completed that and God the Father raised him from the dead. We call that Easter. It should not, not, not be called Easter. I wish we could eradicate that from our vocabulary. Get rid of that word. It comes from Ishtar, the goddess of Babylon who was a Sexual God has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the early church polluted itself. Well, the dark, ages. the dark Age church, a couple, 300 years after. And we've known it and we've called it Easter. That's why we have bunnies and eggs, which are not part of the resurrection. Not at all. And I'm not, you know, going to beat you down and say, well, next Easter, my kids are coming home for the spring break. You know, there's a lot of things that we say that we really don't mean. And if we knew the meaning behind them, we wouldn't use those words. But those three festivals were being commemorated right at Jesus' time. Okay, there's one other thing that I I want to be... I'm not even into my message yet, by the way. (laughs) We're talking about a declaration of peace. And we're still going back before Jesus risen to look at Matthew 27, 15 and 51. When Jesus was on the cross and nearing the end of his time of hanging on that cross throughout that day, says that Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Just then, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That was not a human action. It says there was a great earthquake. It wasn't even the earthquake that caused this. It was the fact that the curtain, which was about the width of a man's hand about four inches thick was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Meaning what? It was only the high priest that was allowed to go in once a year with the yearly sacrifice and sprinkle the blood on the ark, actually on the lid of the ark, the mercy seat. Once a year, that veil, that curtain was torn apart right at the moment that Jesus Christ cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, speaking to us peace. You know, we talked about the fact back when we went through the tabernacle studies last year that The tabernacle is a picture of our redemption. And each piece of the tabernacle means something. And that curtain where only the high priest could go in once a year, that was torn apart. So that now, as Paul says, he has made peace with us. We have been reconciled. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we're just like the high priest, by the way. We're declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. That's the wonderful thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that we have a Savior that passed through and became the Lamb of God for us. The ultimate, the only, the real sacrifice on our behalf, our peace offering, the one who gave us access to a holy God. And we can be here as a congregation and in spite of all our faults and things that are bugginess about each other, we can know that we are righteous, we stand righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Are we perfect? No, we're not, not yet. But are we in right standing? Yes, we are. Is there peace that we have? Yes, there is. And it's in Jesus Christ and not in any other person or place or thing. We're going to look at three declarations of peace by Jesus. The first is peace in the midst of fear. We sang about this a little bit already. John 20, 19 and 20. Peace in the mission and then peace through faith let's follow through in John 20:19 to 31 first of all peace in the midst of fear John 20:19 and 20 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the disciples had gathered together and locked the doors of the place because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders Jesus came and stood among them and said to them Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Peace is very, very difficult to achieve in the midst of fear. Fear is one of those things that can cripple us, make us ineffective, bring us to a place of weakness and have you ever been in a place where you were overcome with fear and you knew that there was nothing that you could do? It doesn't necessarily have to be a car accident or something that you were not expecting. It may be ongoing fear that just binds you and, and puts you in a prison and you cannot get out of it. But peace is what can release you from your fear. And Jesus is the one who went through a very fearful death and became our peace. He became our priest and went through and made peace for us. It says that Jesus came right into the room. Now, for some people, that would be pretty scary. Imagine somebody just walking right through that wall. Well, how could that be? Well, I'm not a scientist, but there are those who say there may be at least 11 dimensions that we have in our universe. We only, as human beings, we only know, is it four? That we understand and we can can get our heads around and understand. But Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, came right through the wall. I don't know that he came through exactly the door. He didn't need to. He came through into that room and he was standing in the midst of them with a body like ours except resurrected. That's the kind of body we're going to have. The same body that Jesus Christ had when he was raised from the dead. He's as we said last week, he's the first born from the dead. Everybody else who died and was raised again had to die again. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. The one who truly was resurrected. And we can be assured because he was resurrected that we also will have the same body as he. I can hardly wait to have that kind of a body. It beats any kind of sport piloting that I do. <laughs> It'd be a thrill, just, whoa, and I'm out of here. Not bound by the earth. Peace and mission. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now Jesus is talking about the mission that God had given him, which was not just to come and do good things and live a life, and it was a life that we all should exemplify. No, he came to show us that it's not just the life that he lived, but how he lived it and what he became so that we might be able to walk in that same victory and power. He said, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Think about that. What does that mean? Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Have you ever thought of that in terms of what, where you are in your job, in your life, and in what you're doing right now, and what you hope that you might be doing after you graduate and get your degree? Have you ever thought about that? Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. It's worth thinking about. And after that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, didn't they have the Holy Spirit? Not really. Not really. The Holy Spirit had not been given. Was Jesus led by the Holy Spirit? The Bible says he was. Who was Jesus' father? Who was Jesus' true father? How did Mary get pregnant? By the Holy Spirit, is what the word says. So he had the Spirit of God in him. And now he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Where else do we know that someone breathed on someone or something? Adam. God breathed on Adam and he became a living being. Did Adam's breath last forever? It could have, couldn't it? It could have. And we, his children, could live forever. But that's not the way it worked out. The enemy saw that here's my chance to get at the very thing that will make the difference in all of humanity and this world and this earth. And he struck a deadly blow when the serpent said, you will not surely die. In fact, God knows that you'll become like him. And so therefore, he doesn't want you to eat this fruit. Our enemy is very treacherous, but Jesus had breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was looking ahead to where the Holy Spirit would come to the church and the church would come alive. Here's a hard text here. Katie and I kind of wrestled over this a little bit uh, through this week. Verse 23, If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Very interesting that the peace that Jesus is talking about that he is giving to them, peace in the mission. In Ephesians 6.15 Paul writes and says that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, the gospel being the truth of the fact that we as sinners are made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We are made righteous. We are to then share this with others that they might know how they also may be part of Jesus Christ. I think that in the perspective that Jesus was looking at when he says, if you forgive another's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain another's sins, they are retained. In other words, it is our mission. It is our mission in the world to go and tell others about the release from sin. That's our mission as Christians. And that's what he is. When he breathes on us, he's saying, you need the spirit, the same spirit that's in me. That's who you need in your life in order to be able to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Whether it's your family or whether it's the people you work with or the people you just happen to sit on the plane for 12 hours and you have an opportunity to share with them the love and the power of Jesus Christ. If you forgive someone's sins, they are forgiven. 2 Corinthians 518 to 21. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's an amazing writer. In two sentences, how many times did he use reconcile? Five times. Reconcile, reconcile, reconcile. What kind of a word is reconcile? It's an accounting word. And that's what God is doing. We can't pay for our sins. Without Jesus Christ, our books aren't balanced. We owe, we owe, we owe. We're in debt. But in Christ, we're reconciled. It balances out. It works. It's effective. Peace comes through faith. John twenty twenty four to 31. Now Thomas called Didymus. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the wounds from the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. Okay, first of all, Thomas called Didymus. Well, we call him Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard that term for Thomas? Doubting Thomas. So Didymus must be doubting. No (laughs) Didymus means twin well what does Thomas mean it means twin well who was his twin well we don't know who his twin was I don't think we do but he went by a Hebrew name Thomas and a Greek name Didymus same thing Eight days later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it into my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. Thomas replied to him, My Lord, my God he knew that his statement I will not believe he had come face to face with his unbelief my Lord and my God Jesus said to him have you believed because you have seen me blessed are the people who have not seen and yet have believed That's where we are. We haven't seen Jesus, but we have believed. We believe him. He is real to us, as real as if he was standing right here with us now. Now, Jesus performed many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples which were not recorded in this book, but these are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. The Bible makes it very clear that signs and miracles are for us to believe that our God is a miracle-working God. The God of life, not the God of death and damnation. He's the God of life. And he came with eternal life for us. And he demonstrated that this is possible for men and women like us in the human body. That is achievable, but only through the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and his offering of his blood for us. That's the gospel. He's showing us signs and we're miracles. Knowing and believing that because he lives, we might live eternally. He is our peace.